Welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keys, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to continue our Streaming Between the Lines series and discuss the Eugenics Crusade, a two-hour documentary written and directed by Michelle Ferrari, which first aired back in 2018 and is available now to stream. This documentary tells the story of the rise and fall of eugenics in the American scientific, social, and political spheres, a story which has several themes which still echo today, even though it seems, you know, so very far removed, you know, when you watch it or when you read about this from, you know, early 20th century. Joining me today is a man who lays down laws like island carpet, Tunde Ogonlana, Tunde you going to get the people one more chance, man? Yeah. All right, just man. one more. Just one more. All right. All right. Now, we're recording this on January 2nd, 2023. And before we jump right in, I just want to be clear on what we're discussing in terms of what eugenics is. Eugenics, the word, was coined in the late 19th century by a, actually a cousin of Charles Darwin, Sir Francis Galton. And it means literally, quote, well-born. And the the quote-unquote science of eugenics in large part began with the mindset of trying to be more selective with the procreation of humans in order to breed in more desirable characteristics and breed out less desirable characteristics. Kind of in the same way that's done with crops or, or farm animals or racehorses. But as the documentary shows, and we'll discuss, it ultimately went much further than that. So Tunde, to get us started, what did you find most interesting about the the eugenics movement as told in this documentary? Uh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> there was several interesting things to it. Uh, so I don't know if there's a most, but I, I, I guess if I could go 30,000 feet with it, the overarching theme that it's another, you know, eugenics is another example where I think... He, Humans, you know, us as all of us people tend to think that, uh, you know, number one, are dealing with the knowledge they have at the time. Yeah. Um, eugenics, I think, is an interesting example of how culture can um, kind of dominate and control things that are supposed to be um, kind of more secular from a from an intellectual standpoint, like science. And um, and I think it's 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 kind of. What I felt when watching the documentary, kind of getting through it, was it's another example of kind of the lack of humility, I think, that all of us have as people that somehow, in, you know, our time is, is the most important time ever, and that somehow be, these new technologies that we develop in our society will allow us to engineer humanity in a certain way for the better. And that's what I mean by the cultural aspect, because I realize what was considered better back then, you know, 100, 120 years ago, is different than what would be considered better now, today. And it's just interesting, right? And yeah. so that's that's where I just feel that eugenics uh, is, is, is not unique, but maybe it, it, it was unique in its time because of the kind of um, amalgamation of technology along with the demographic shifts in Western society. Um, but the thoughts that brought us to eugenics have always been there and are still there. Yeah. Um, yeah that's yeah. kind of where I feel like there's a lot of moving pieces that interest me in this. Yeah, that actually, that's was my, the, the thing that was interesting to me is that how the, 
the impetus, the things that were the social ills or, you know, the, the concerns as far as the uh, society caring for people, having to care for people or people that need extra care, all of that stuff, all, all of the reasons why the, the, some of the people in that day came up with the answer of eugenics, all of that stuff still exists. All of that is stuff existed at various points throughout history. Now, they were in an interesting time because the urban, it was really the development of urban societies as we know them today in the sense that, you know, in the documentary made note on how you had masses and masses of people moving to the cities. This was on the, you know, as that was happening. And so the cities become more crowded, more crime, more just unruly stuff at the same time with all this immigration that was happening. And they were all mainly flocking to the cities as well. So there were these concerns that people had as far as, so, it were, so concerns as far as actual just order. Um, and the ability for for society to maintain itself in these cities with all these people and so forth, these all you know with factories and stuff like that would be the reason they were coming. There were jobs, but it's difficult to to ramp up, so to speak, a urban area that may have had forty thousand people or fifty thousand people, and then in ten years it might have a half a million people, or it might have you know more even more than that. And so that struggle led people to to otherize and so forth and the the other piece i would say was yes the the how it's very particular like the, the the person who is deciding what are the desirable characteristics setting aside like you can have a different conversation if you want to say certain types of disease things like that as far as quote-unquote undesirable characteristics but it it never is that it always goes to I don't like this person. This is the other, they're going to otherize something. And then these, what's desirable and undesirable with these characteristics as it, as it went in this eugenics movement always ends up becoming something about not people that are, that have any objective thing wrong with them. They, you just don't like what they do or how they live or how, you know, what they look like and so forth. And so then you're like, Oh, that's the stuff we got to breed out. Yeah. And so yeah, it's, it becomes so subjective so quickly in an area that people initially tried to present as, oh, this is science, people. This isn't, you know, we're not out here just talking nonsense. So this is like, this is real science and we're going to make things happen, you know, from a scientific standpoint. Yeah, that, that was the thing to me that was interesting about eugenics and the fact they, I think they labeled it kind of a quote unquote pseudoscience, which is, it was, it was, it was, you know, kind of this term in my head is it was a bug, it was a bug in search of a windshield. You know, yeah. it, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. it was a theory in search of scientific confirmation that over maybe a 30 year period science confirmed that it wasn't a, a theory based in any real fact. Um, but in that so, lag, when there were some results that said, Hey, there might be something to that. The zealots, so to speak, they took it and ran with it. Yeah. You yeah. Know, no, is, that's yeah. what was interesting is, yeah. is, um, number one, over that period of time, unfortunately, a lot of people got hurt because of these, yeah. um, theories, um, which we'll get into a little bit more in detail, how that <laughs> may have led to the cause of world war two in certain aspects. Um, and then the other thing that I find going back to the desirables versus undesirables, because that's a very important point because I, on top of the documentary, I just got curious. So I started looking online a bit because they alluded to this in the documentary that um, a, a gentleman said that there's evidence of the idea of eugenics, meaning trying to breed a more perfect people uh, in Sanskrit, you know, and it's kind yeah. of these ancient writings. So it is true. Uh, Plato apparently um, referred to ideas that we'd consider, you know, eugenics, meaning he thought about breeding more um, appropriate people to try and make a better humanity. And they even talked about things like um, certain Brazilian tribes 
uh, Native American tribes, as well as the Spartans, um, you know, th that they would uh, do infanticide, basically kill babies that were born with defects, birth defects, things like that. So one can say, okay, this isn't new in humanity. Um, the idea of trying to rid a society of quote unquote undesirable, whether they be physically deformed, mentally deformed, things like that, um, or of bad quote unquote character is something that we know historically has gone on for a very long time. And that's where I said to me, it's just interesting, this, this, the combination of where the world was, because they allude to this in the documentary that the 30 years prior to the beginning of the eugenics movement saw at the time, the greatest technological revolutions on earth. Yeah. Um, in human history, so which, people believed in science, like yeah. you know, science can make anything happen. In that yeah, exactly. And that, that's what I found interesting. Not only belief in science was, was prevalent belief in kind of collectivism yeah, and that the government could solve problems. So like Teddy Roosevelt was a big proponent of eugenics, things like that. They even talked about people like Langston Hughes, like some of the subcultures in America began to ascribe to some of these ideas that you could breed your way out of certain negative I guess, um, uh, cultures and, and breed your way into a more positive existence as a group. Yeah. And I mean, so. honestly, if you think about it though, the, then this is where it gets really dangerous because on an individual level, people do this kind of thing all the time. People are like, Oh, you know, I like this characteristic or whatever. And you might choose a mate based on characteristics that you are not an all, but based in part on, you know, you like certain characteristics or whatever on an individual level that happens. It makes sense from the, you see it in the animal kingdom. You know, like then once people started farming or, you know, plant and animal kingdom, once people started farming and started being able to see how they could combine different, you know, strains of, of plants and get hardier plants, the idea comes to you almost naturally. The problem was, so to speak, that you know, as we as the, the documentary gets into and so forth, that it doesn't it's not that easy. And so trying to, like, systematize it and organize it on in some kind of societal level doesn't work out like that. You know, it, it doesn't. And so like, but and one other thing that, you know, like where it, my mind went to, or two other things where my mind went to when, when seeing this was one was this was done. We've heard reports about at least, um, you know, and, and, and recorded in history that this kind of thought process or, or approach may have been done with American slavery as far as to try to quote unquote build or breed stronger slaves, more resistant to, to the elements and so forth. Um, but also, you can see how this type of mindset may have led people, the, the inbreeding stuff, you know, which takes you in a terrible direction, you know, as far as the loss of, we know now genetic diversity is very important. So you don't necessarily want to double down on the same thing over and over again. But without knowing all that stuff, you can see how this kind of basic thought that can make sense can then go into so many different directions, actually, that once you take two steps down the road, you're you're in catastrophe, but the premise itself still made sense, and so. But yeah, well, what stood out to you? Oh, I was just going to add because the documentary makes a good case, uh, or sorry, they say it in a, in a very interesting way that what eugenics did was preserve pre-existing order, and that was important to a lot of people because of the demographic shifts at the time, late 1800s through the early 1900s. And so, but that wasn't why the scientists necessarily were pushing it. That's why, like the evangelists, the people that no, were but pushing that's, it, that's wanted why to the scientists began to get interested. Because, like you're saying about the the idea that, like the the whether breeding fruit flies or or breeding chickens, 
that somehow maybe there is a scientific way that you can make humans better, more stronger, you know, rid, rid people of mental yeah, the idealism, the idealism of it. Yeah. And, and that's right. I agree. Like over that kind of couple decades, once the scientists really got their hands into it, they found that, and especially as, as the um, research into actual genetics and, and the discovery of chromosomes and things like that in the early 20th century took place, what they began to find was, yeah, first of all, human beings aren't peas, you know, like plants, um, and they're not as simple as fruit flies. There's a lot more complexity. And then they even found that an, a, 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 an animal as simple as a fruit fly in comparison to, to us humans, if you just hit it with x-rays, you can create so many mutations that it goes out of control. So they, a lot of the scientists began to distance themselves from the eugenics experiments because um, they just weren't proving to be factual once put up, you know, through through the scientific method. Well, I wanted to, to the, the next thing I wanted to actually get into was the, the evolution that we saw with the science aspect, you know, like, and, and like you said, it started out in some type of, in more of an idealism type of thing, like, oh, we can get rid of, and that's the, the other thing it started out with was less about desirable from a cultural standpoint, but more of desirables in, in, you know, resistance to disease or certain types of defects. But in any event, it started out trying to almost search for something better. But then it, the, the science almost went on one track where they're trying to actually prove whether or not this works. And they're doing experiments on different animals and all that stuff. Hey, can we control what the, when we breed two different animals or, you know, whether it be insects, fruit flies or whatever, and, you know, they're having different characteristics. Can we control what the output is? Can we control what 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 genes are passed on um, to the offspring? And, and if you can control it, then you can say, okay, we can isolate and get rid of certain things by controlling what happens. And it goes all the way down this progression where they they try to prove it and they cannot prove it. And then ultimately science is is on the side, uh, you know, and within a decade or two of that it not being something that we can actually reliably replicate, but at that time, though, the, the the people pushing from a social and political standpoint had already taken off, and they were they were going. So, what did you what did you make of how those tracks happened, kind of in parallel, so to speak? Where you had at a certain point, maybe at the very beginning, there was some alignment on the people who wanting to do this from a social and political standpoint. Were like, okay, yeah, let's let's find the science that make it work. But as you pointed out, it was more of a bug looking for a windshield. Like they were, they already had their conclusion. They were looking, they were asking the scientists not to disprove it per the scientific method, but to prove it. But and then, but once there was a certain divergence, basically, where they went on their own and they're like, look, we're going with this. And we'll talk later about how they, their, their justifications evolved over time as the science community, as they diverged further and further from the science community. But would you make of that kind of initial place that they started in and then the gradual divergence um it very interesting you know i i stay with me as i go down this rabbit hole here (laughs) okay okay fair warning yeah exactly for the audience too because i'm 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 gonna go this direction but i'm not staying there just for example you know i kept thinking of the big lie interesting Um, and that's why like i'm saying it's not to get in you know off topic and get into you know modern politics in America. But what what it got me thinking of, again, the human aspect of it, that is like the big lie. The big lie was, again, a bug in search of a windshield, right? It was was a theory pushed by people that weren't happy with something. And 
you know, like we've documented in other discussions, you know, whether first starting with the courts, then, you know, trying to get people, you know, the, the culture got riled up through TV and, 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 and the internet and all that. And it's kind of like eugenics, right? Like at, at one point, the serious people were on board with looking into the big lie and saying, let's look at the data. Let's look at the, the election results. Let's, let's, let's do recounts by hand in states like Arizona and all that. And what happens is the evidence kept showing. I mean, I remember, with the, I think it was the Arizona recount where, um, you know, the, 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 the election was certified by 100 votes more than, than, than yeah, the yeah. initial thing. And so what happens is then the serious people start kind of jumping off this train that's going, looks like it's going to hell. And what you're left with is just these true believers from a cultural standpoint. And I think that's that's why it reminded me of the similar thing that something that was so heated and emotional, you know, here we are two years uh, after the, the, the January 6th event, and the serious people are off that, that, that narrative, and they've moved on to other things. And only the core hardcores are still beating that drum. And I think eugenics reminded me of just, I don't know why the two things merged in No, my head, I can see what you're saying, because it... There was the initial, like, everybody who's kind of would be interested in that particular outcome. Anybody who was interested in, oh, we might be able to do better as far as offspring, healthier yeah. babies, was, was like, okay, yeah, let's learn more. Let's learn more. Everybody's on board. And then as the evidence starts to roll in or as the zealots, the evangelists, start veering into other territories, like, oh, no, we're not just looking to get rid of disease. Actually, we're just we're going to just try to remake society. We're going to try yeah. to breed out certain races. And they're like, and the other people are like, well, hold on. I thought we were just doing healthy well, babies. You know, and so they, this, that, that is the divergence, though, that you see is as the zealots reveal themselves more as actual zealots, not just interested or, or curious people. And then as the, the evidence rolls in that doesn't support what the initial premise was, there's a, there's a choice there that each person needs to, be, to, needs to make as far as, all right, am I just pot committed to where I started because of confirmation bias and because of what this is just the way I want to go with it. Or and it, it oftentimes takes a bigger person to say, oh, looks like I'm on the wrong. I picked the wrong train here. You know, I need to get yeah. off the train now and get on the other train because this train is going not somewhere where I want to go. Yeah, that's a great point, because I think, you know, within all these things, there, there's genuineness. Right. And, and things that can be looked at and maybe applied to to make things better or fix things in the future. So with the big life, for example, you know, I, I agree with you. It's like the Holocaust as, 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 you know, created and, and executed by the, by Nazi Germany was, I think that nail in the coffin for eugenics where it took maybe the idealism of, Hey, let's, let's do some things that we think can create a better society. And it went from sterilization, which I don't agree with, to exterminating humans on Forced mass. sterilization, yeah. by the way. Like, actually, hey, we'll look at you. We don't think you are, we don't think you're smart enough. So we we as a society are going to decide then that you can't have kids because if you have kids, then they're not going to be smart either. And they're going to be, if yeah. you're not smart enough, and, you're more likely to commit crime. So I, that's what you I'm, meant by sterilization. Yeah, and, and where I'm making the connection is, so there's a lot of people that, like you're saying, from a distance, right? They don't have to see people getting sterilized. They don't have to see the, you know, all the um, insane asylums where people get shoved into because they're considered, quote unquote, morons, which was a medical term back then, so on and so forth, right? So they can say, okay, I guess that has to be done for us to have a better society. But once 
the Nuremberg trials happened and you really learned what happened in the Holocaust, that's when I think a lot of people are like, okay, I didn't sign up for that. Well, I think it's an interesting point that you the, the bring up. And, and the documentary did point out how, as you said, that Nazi the, the, what the Nazis did actually put a final nail in the coffin in terms of, okay, like, yeah, you can't do this. Because what they did, basically, what they decided was, okay, well, instead of forced sterilization, which they said that's too slow to get out what they determined <laughs> to be the, the undesirable characteristics. So, yeah, they just they took it. And what it is really, they took it to what could be considered to be a logical conclusion. That is a, a, a could be considered a logical conclusion of eugenics is if all of these, if we're all competing for resources and sharing the same stuff, then, you know, like, hey, you, you, you're going to start doing extreme things if you play that eugenics mindset out on a societal level. Again, I think that's important here is that the issue here isn't oh, I like this characteristic. I'm going to choose a mate that has this characteristic. This is me telling a hundred other people, I like this characteristic. So all of you that have it, you can't have kids. And that, the, the, to me, that kind of leap is one that we see in societies a lot of times where like a lot of that is when we, when, you know, in our country, we value, well, most of us value keeping religion separate from the legal aspect. And part of that is in that same line of thinking is that, okay, well, if you're going to have freedom, then you can't, one person can't say, okay, well, because of my religion, I'm going to make it illegal to do this or do that. It's very different if a person says, hey, because of my religion, I'm not going to do this or do that. I don't think that that's right. So I'm not going to do it. Individual choice, society allows for that. But it's always when, not always, but it's oftentimes when we have these Things that may be, they may be good practices. They may be something that would be desirable to do on an individual level. And then we say, you know what? We're going to make everybody else do it. And, you know, what was pointed out repeatedly in the documentary is that it's always the person who's making the decision on what is desirable, what's not desirable. They just choose basically what's desirable is themselves. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just make everybody like me. And it's like, all right, this isn't workable. And and that's not much different than what the Nazis did. One last point, I'll kick it back to you. But, you know, it was I found it interesting, though, in the, the, the trials, you know, with the Nazis and how they pointed to the U.S. Supreme Court actually upheld state laws forcing sterilization. And they they upheld it. And said, no, you, the forced sterilization is okay. And they, the, the Nazis were pointing at that and say, hey, how can you say we're war crimes? You guys say this is okay in a, in a civilian sense, you know? And so, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. So just the point being that the Americans kind of got this ball rolling. Germany took it, to, took it further, basically. But they were following our footsteps. They were following our cues, you know, when they did all that those, those atrocities. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. You, you made a very good point that the... You know, unfortunately, and I, I say this, we're not um, uh, fans of the Holocaust here, right? So I'm not. Definitely uh, not. I want to be very clear about that. Definitely. What I'm saying is, though, you, the, the point you make that the Holocaust, you know, the extermination of a group of people or the desire to do that, let's just say it that way, uh, is a natural conclusion because it's a good point. I never thought of it that way. Clearly, sterilizing people is done with the intent that you're ending that line in right? that line yeah, yeah exactly and so the but that's not the that, only way and that's not the most efficient way to end yeah that line. well it's just that you're right it was too slow for some people to do that right so yeah. they had to step it up and say okay i gotta make sure within my lifetime in the next 20 years i see a world without this whole other group of people and that's that's fascinating and it's and it's, it's terrible at the same time 
And what it is, is it really tells us that anytime we see people trying to divide people into these groups and say that, you know, let's call it what it is, right? Desirables versus undesirables. You make a good point. The natural conclusion, we shouldn't be surprised if it goes to these types of extremes. Yeah. And clearly the Holocaust is probably the most extreme version of that in history, um, especially because of the industrialized way of exterminating human beings. But um, we can say any genocide in history, you know, whether what the uh, uh, Turks did to the Armenians 100 years ago, you know, or something like that, or, or, or um, you know, what the Japanese tried to do to the Chinese, you know, prior to World War II and, and during yeah. World War II. Those are all examples where the Japanese thought they were superior to other human beings, yeah. and they decimated people in Manchuria and China, just like the Nazis decimated people in Europe and, 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 and other examples like that. So I think, I think it's a great point you make that we all have to be careful. And that's why, you know, you and I kind of have this joke about people who are cooperative and non-cooperative. Yeah. And I think once you start seeing people who are non-cooperative, one must assume that, okay, if this is allowed to play out all the way, we've seen where human beings will begin to hurt other human beings. Um, yeah, and I think you're right in terms of how what it does reveal the cautionary tale nature of it is like what the the genocide helped connect to people who it wasn't, and it wasn't. I'm not saying that it should have been th- uh, obvious to them at the very beginning, but what it helped them connect is that sterilization and genocide. There's not much space before sterilization and genocide. There's not much space between those two. Yeah, you know, like those are going down the same road. Uh, one is definitely further than the other, but it's it, it, it connects that. And so the cautionary tale being that, yeah, once people start talking about once once you go down the road first of otherizing, then dehumanizing, then, you know, coming up with all these justifications why you can do this or you can do that. These roads are going down the same path. And hopefully, you know, we as society, by learning about this stuff, can, you know, learn to recognize these. And because a lot of times and, you know, it's the story of the Nazis. We don't recognize it a lot of times if it's if our group isn't the initial target. Yeah, well, that's true because when your group's the target, it makes it much more emotional. <laughs> you pay attention. Well, yeah, you I mean, know, it's not just emotional; it makes it much more of a, a immediate threat. And that's so what I mean. Like, like, yeah, it's, like, it's, hey. it's it's um, yeah. I mean, that's better term than what I had. Is it's emotional because it's an immediate threat, right? Yeah. And and so, but one thing before we jump to the next kind of section of the discussion, you know, I, I, it's it's a great point you bring up with the Nazis saying the natural conclusion, because I think this is something that, you know, another thing that just watching this documentary reminded me of is, I'll I'll see if I can say it all succinctly, which is, I kind of felt like it's another example of kind of the lack of humility that we have collectively as humans at times, because, you know, it's this idea that, remember, you you, you stated it well, that the Nazis lifted and, and borrowed a lot of their ideas from the Americans. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just eugenics, even things like the Jim Crow laws. Yeah. They, they were studying them. They were in communication with American uh, uh, politicians and scientists of how to apply the same segregation laws in Germany against groups like Jews and gypsies and, and political dissenters and all that. And so the, the interesting thing is those are things that, again, because we don't fully teach all the sides of history, not only in our country, but the world doesn't do it. Um, We tend to think that we are immune to going down these roads. And I think that you said it 
Well, I was thinking about something you said on a show when, when I was preparing for this and you said something about like, I don't even think my spouse is perfect. You know, like this kind of thing, like just yeah. because something isn't perfect doesn't mean I can't love it. Yeah. And I think yeah. this was, it reminded me of watching all this stuff like, yeah, we're imperfect. And, and the Germans were pointing to that in their defense trials at Nuremberg. Yeah. They were citing actual American laws they were using. And yeah. Yeah. because we don't teach that to ourselves, we don't see when we go down these slippery slopes and listening to rhetoric that is divisive and, and may lead people. Again, we had people coming up with eugenics here, England, Australia, Canada. The Germans took it and, and went to another level with it. Yeah. And there's people talking things now in the world today in 2022, 2023, that, you know, we may, most of us might be able to hear it and we can walk away and say, okay, but there's going to be somebody that takes it and runs with it and it hurts other people. And the idea of creating these utopias, I want to quote something from the documentary. They said, quote, the problem with utopias is that they set a set of aspirations that then blind you to a certain set of consequences. Yeah. And that can be dangerous. Yeah, it's, and that's, it's classic ends justify the means correct. type of thing. Yeah. You know, like so that's so, what it was. Yeah. Like sterilization led to extermination, like you said, the natural conclusion, because you had this idea in your head that we got to get rid of these undesirables. Yep. So as long, and that's the thing. So even if science isn't telling, that's what it reminds me of a big lie. Even if the facts don't line up, I got to keep pushing this thing. Well, that, and that's, got, the, that's the thing that made it very fascinating from that standpoint. It's frightening yeah. as well, but we see this. is like the, the science jumped off board, so to speak, quietly, you know, and, 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 and more of the earlier phases of the eugenics movement. But when it got, it caught on from a social standpoint and political standpoint, and the momentum for those kept running until things happened publicly yeah. that then halted the science, the, excuse me, the social and the political, the science community itself saying, hey, actually, you know, we'd, our, our, our research doesn't support that you, we can make this happen in the way we're talking about it. That didn't really move the needle once the yeah. ball got rolling from the social standpoint. And so, you know, and that's, that's actually the next thing I wanted to ask you was, what did you, what did you make of how quickly from a social and political standpoint? Now, this wasn't just organic. There was effort made to make it uh, happened, but how quickly it was able to take hold, you know, and because this is something that pe- nobody in the public had heard of this thing in 1900. And by 1920, <laughs> in the 20s, you know, they're, they got laws on the books, they got, you know, Supreme Court ruling on it saying it's okay. Like, this went from nothing <laughs> that was talked about to like, people are going to fairs and, you know, the Betterment Commission and eugenics is everywhere. Like it took on or it, it, it jumped, you know, it, it came became very prevalent very quickly. What'd you make of that? How much time we got left? <laughs> <laughs> no, because as you're talking, you know what I'm thinking of? What's that? Critical race theory. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, yeah, freaking yeah, yeah. things. Like, you know, we've done a show, right? It's been around since the 70s. No one heard of it. No one yeah. cared. But in the last two years, all of a sudden, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 you so know, the power of the media, basically. The power right? of, yes, ecosystems and meet narratives, right? And, and, and when people want to get behind them and push them, they get pushed. The other thing that, because um, I'll jump back to it in a second, but just to talk about the prevalence, because I find this too, just like whether it's the big lie or something else, these things don't happen without a lot of support and a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, from Ivy League schools, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all of them had eugenics programs um, were, 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 you know, promoting the study of eugenics, things like that. Yeah. Um, you had um, the documented that uh, 
one of the um, scientists had courted uh, the widow of E.H. Harriman, the wealthy banker, and got her to um, um, uh, donate a lot of money for the research and all that. And I just thought of it too, like, yeah, the it, it takes getting the whole culture in, but a lot of it is also fear-based, right? Yeah. So just like the big lie was about fear that if the opponent gets in, the country's going to end. Yeah. And I think back then was very similar because of between the demographic changes uh, around the turn of the century of the 20th century, as well as the prevalence of technology allowed for a lot of the fear to get disseminated. And that's what, 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 what kind of gets you to this place where people begin to want to embrace it at that level of Ivy League schools and the wealthy get into it. Like, yeah. okay, if we don't do this, our country's going to end. And I'll, I'll pass it back here in a second, but there was a lot of the similar language back then as well that I found people like Madison Grant and others um, that just like, if, if you didn't do this, if you didn't put up these walls, that then the country, America was over. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of that same rhetoric, you know, yeah. like, oh, this is the end Literally of America. Walls. Yeah. We got to yeah, put like up walls it, it, and bars. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah, if we, how big of a wall can we build around yeah. America? And, you know, this was the eugenics piece was that first legislation. It led to that first legislation that greatly restricted immigration, you know, in the United States. Yeah. And at that time, it was 20. the Eastern Europeans and the Southern Europeans they were trying to keep out. It's always, you know, it's always somebody they're trying to keep out for some reason. Um, well, and we see that they, now, you know, it's just. I, I just want to touch on what you just said, because that was the culture point I told it pointed at um, earlier in the show, which is a hundred years ago, the culture was that only Western Nordic descendants of Europeans were desirable. And they said that Eastern Europeans, especially Jews were less intelligent than native born white Americans. Yeah. A hundred years later, here we are where the authoritarian streak in the United States fawns over places like Hungary and Russia. Yeah, yeah, which are Eastern Europeans. That's what I was saying. That in 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 preparing for this, I just realized this is why it's actually BS. Because <laughs> well, just, you know it's BS, but this is just another <laughs> illustration. If you want to, yeah, exactly. you want to start going down the list of the so reasons. Hold on, why. All, all these people were bad a hundred years ago, but now <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. they're okay. Well, I, I the pro the propaganda piece was was definitely something that stood out, and you know, like you said, the amount of money and you know, like a influence that was getting behind it. But I think even more core to it than that. The reason why you were able to get people on board, I think, like at the institutional level, Carnegie Institute is, is giving them money until they, you know, until they looked at it from a science standpoint, eventually a couple of decades later, stop give, stop give, donating money to the eugenics uh, foundations and so forth. But it fit into a lot of pre-existing kind of concerns that people had like, oh, your concern is about social ills, drinking, the drunkenness or, uh, you know, abuse, spousal abuse or whatever, or kids not being able to eat. Oh, your concern is about health and just being healthy and fit. Or your concern is about, you know, any of these kind of concerns that you have, there is a way that the eugenics people could sell you or that they had the solution to it. And so to me, that was, it brought together so many disparate people. They gave the example of like um, the Kellogg, you know, Dr. Kellogg, the guy who came from yeah, the Kellogg Syrup. And he was a health nut. You know, he was in the fitness and stuff like that. And he got, he got a taste of the eugenics thing. He's like, yeah, he's all on board, you know, like right away. Like, yeah, this fits into all of the other stuff that I'm doing. So I think that was part of the eugenics as well, is that it seemed that they, they had a message for 
no matter what your thing yeah. was, they had That's a message a that fit into that. Yeah, exactly. it. it was like, like the QAnon of 100 years ago. <laughs> you know, like, remember, the birth Whatever control. Whatever you want, we got it. <laughs> I, I, I want to try to see if I can pull up her name, but the birth control lady, um, yeah, the lady that was pushing birth was. control, like she was pushing birth control and, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, women need to be able to, to, to or like women shouldn't have to, to bear kids all the time and so forth. More from like... The impression I got was that it was much more from a feminist standpoint, not yeah. feminism as we think of it now, but just to not force women to carry babies all the time. But well, that's what she found an outlet with eugenics exactly. that was palatable she, at the time. She yeah. then she said, well, hold on. If I incorporate my message into eugenics, then all of these people that are pushing back on me when I'm like, yeah, the man shouldn't be able to make the woman carry a baby. If I just put this in a eugenic standpoint, they get on board with me and they're like, yeah. they're riding out with me now because well, and now and, and so to me that that exemplifies how you know, there, there certainly was also some opportunism here where people were like, OK, because this is such a catch all, because you can fit almost any message into it. And because, you know, like you can almost find anybody's thumbscrew with this. I think that played a big role in it being able to, to, to get so big so quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point, because it reminds me then of when we did our documentary um, show on prohibition. Yeah. And that, you know, you think about the lead up to the, you know, let's say prohibition, I think it was 1920, 21, the official law. So the lead up was, you know, over the in prior decades, which was around this time of eugenics. And like you're saying about the catch all, there are a lot of people both from the anti kind of drinking movement as well as anti immigration movement movements that that latched on the eugenics for their specific yeah, you know, concerns in those areas. So, because By remember, the way, the, I, we haven't said it out loud, <laughs> out specifically, but like the the at the time, the eugenics people were trying to link drunkenness. That's to, what I was. That's what I was getting. And, at. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that this idea that eugenics was saying that yeah, whether it was drunkenness, which leads to poverty, which leads to crime, um, was something that was hereditary, and um, and so well, the, that, yeah, like two. If we get rid of what was, I think it was. Um, Henry Goddard, who was one of the, you know, like one of the big influential people with this, he was saying that feeble mindedness, as he termed it, and was a term that was used back then, you know, commonly caused two thirds of the problems in yeah. society. And if we just get rid of this one thing, then we'd have much like significantly less problems. Yeah, no. And, and that's what I'm saying. And, and what you see is then the 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 transformation of the culture. And so there's. um you know, I want to. I got some quotes here. That's in, just again. It there's a lot of similar rhetoric today, which is fascinating to me. So, in May of 1920, Charles Davenport, who was one of the better known um, researchers, yeah, he was the Harvard educated guy yeah, that institutionalized the, guy. the 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 study of eugenics and was an early evangelist. And that's what I mean. Like it's it's these were Ivy League schools, and again, similar to some other things we've talked about. It you know, like. We don't learn about that this, you know, our country at the highest level supported these things, you know, culturally. And so Charles Davenport said of Eastern European immigrants in a letter he, he penned to one of his friends in May of 1920, quote, can we build a wall high enough around this country as to keep these cheaper races out? Yeah. Um, and then there was a famous actress named Lillian Russell. Um, and she said that the American melting pot was a catastrophe, quote, if we don't put up the bars and make them higher and stronger, she warned, there will no longer be an America for an Americans, close yep. quote. And yeah. it's, it's just interesting. Like, it's, and again, that's what those, I thought those, of. Those terms echo, man. Those no, echo, but that's what I yeah. thought of. Think about it. She's specifically talking about Eastern Europeans, all that stuff. And people Southern, coming yeah, over, East, East, Ellis Southern, Island, yeah. all that. And I think about now it's the same exact rhetoric about what people coming from south of the border. Yeah. 
And it's just interesting, right? Like, okay, maybe in a hundred years, all those people, descendants of these immigrants from South America, will be trying to keep someone else out of this yeah, country. Yeah, they'll be trying to keep the, the Martians <laughs> out, man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, might, well, um, I, might, I might support that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> they might get you with that one. Oh, man. But, I mean... I, I I think you know the the quotes that you, you that you brought out yeah those those things echo it's 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 jarring when you that's see what I mean. it. it's it's, like, wow. that's why it's could, just people you know I could see that yeah I could see that on the news tomorrow but that's you know, why like that yeah part. no for sure and, and, but that's why it's like people all are talking like this and then like you're saying then something bad enough happens and it gets exposed to everyone else and then people are shamed from it right because and, uh, and then no one always wants to, to acknowledge that they that they actually supported this at one point <laughs> people always seem to forget how far certain people will take things yeah. like they themselves a lot of times won't take it that far but they don't recognize that oh yeah but there are people who will and yeah. they will take it very far and, and then you're going to look up and say oh well that's yeah that's why we don't go down these ends justify the means roads because there are some people that will do some crazy things on you know just on behalf of the, whatever those ends are yeah. um you know and so the the one other piece i wanted to mention um with this piece and then i, I want to get you know we can uh, wrap up with our last uh our last point but the it also one other thing with with henry goddard one of the things that was very interesting with the feeble-mindedness and he created he was he was he was one of the creators of like standardized testing but then as in now one of the things it's easy for us to look at it now with the distance and see how what they were testing wasn't intelligence but more so had you been exposed to a scholastic environment and had you been exposed to and assimilated into the culture it was testing cultural things much more than raw intelligence cuz you know and, and like again looking back on it they're looking at all these tests and it's like yeah there's no way you would you would have any familiarity with a lot of these concepts. These weren't testing two plus two. You know, this is like, oh, okay, well, here's, you know, this is how this house is built. What's missing from this house that's built? And it's like, well, hold on. They build different types of houses all over the all over the world. Like, what are you talking about? How are they gonna know specifically how a specific house would look in New Jersey if they've never been to New Jersey? You know, so it it's like they test in these cultural things, but they take that stuff and run with it. And it's like, okay, yeah, we can. We're going to sterilize this person because, you know, this and that, oh, this person's feeble-minded. But the standardized testing piece and how that's, you know, initially was created to try to help people at the facility that Goddard was working at. But then you realize, and, you know, the Army adopted it and so forth and preparing for the draft for, I believe, World War I. But, okay, yeah, let's test the intellectual proficiency of people. But, you know, again, the, the idea of it might have sounded good, but the execution of it, left a lot to be desired because the yeah. tests didn't test what they were trying to test. Well, and it also, <laughs> the conclusion of the tests uh, uh, basically said that half of the, literally 50% of the U.S. Army were morons. Literally, and, like more, and when we say morons, yeah. again, it's not the insult that you hear now. Yeah, it was but a like moron was a classification. <laughs> clinical imbecile. diagnosis, yeah. Yeah, these are diagnoses of, of you know, intelligence. Well, and, and remember, let's say this too, because in, for the audience, right, it's also about the, the input method. And that's yeah. very important. It's kind of like a, the old, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, Gigo for computers, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. yeah, yeah if you have garbage yeah. going in as, as, as a way to test people, then you're only going to get out garbage. Yeah. Uh, and so, for example, number one, remember, the documenter does a good point to pointing out these were different times than today. Yeah. It's almost, it's understandable why we put a lot of effort into public education in this country because back 100 years, 110 years ago, you know, 50% of the country was illiterate. Yeah. Um, you still had a lot of people living on farms, coming from farms. Most of the immigrants coming to the United States were illiterate, definitely illiterate in English. And so 
you had examples where a question on an exam for people who are literate was what type of engine is in, you know, th- this type of engine is in what car? And they say Ford. Yeah. And they got Thunder these brands whatever. of cars. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, okay, how well, are people going to you know, know brand names of cars? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm literate and I, you could stump me with a question like that today. And, and that would be seen if you answered that wrong, that was a knock against your intelligence. Yeah, you're feeble-minded, and man. they had different tests for people who were illiterate, showing them, like they showed, um, an example was they showed an image of a house and an immigrant from Czechoslovakia drew um, a cross on the cross, top, you know, top because to that immigrant, it looked like a church. But they said that he got it wrong because the American test tester was like, nah, you're an idiot. You know, that's not yeah, a church, it's yeah. a house. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so. like, well, but and he had, the, the expectation was, and again, this is the tester not recognizing their own blind spot. Correct. You know, like there are things that are familiar to them, they then impute on that everybody should be familiar with if they're smart. And but, so- and, and, well, I was just going to say, this is why it wasn't scientific. This is where science correct. began to say, okay, well, you know, that doesn't really mean someone's actually intelligent or not. The, the idea that they've never seen a house like in the United States, that just yeah. means they haven't been exposed to certain things. Or that they're not familiar with all the different brand names, specific yeah, brand names car. of, of cars. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah. you know, like, so, yeah, those are familiarity with culture, you know? And yeah. so it's, it's, it's one of those things, yes, the, that was another piece where this that's another example of how it diverged from science the implementation of these things as science is digging and digging and digging and saying hey this stuff we can't back this up we can't get the outcome we want out of fruit flies you know when we're trying to do this and you guys are saying you're gonna get it with humans and you know on the the other hand though the social and political they're ramping it up still and they're going digging deeper and deeper so just you know do you think society you said you you point out how this was a long time ago but do you think that society has learned a lot since then, as far as dealing with the social ills, as you, you had mentioned earlier, the social ills that led many to to try to 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 to, to use eugenics to try to address these things, because we still have poverty. We still have, you know, a lot of the things we still have people with substance abuse. You know, we've had drug issues and, you know, the opioid epidemic, you know, and it was huge, you know, just yeah. this, this century, you know. So what, what do you think? Are we have we well, learned a lot that, uh, or, you know, are we better or are we, you know, still doing the same thing? I don't know, just hearing you say it is what gets me thinking back to that point I made earlier about kind of humility, right? Like, I think what I got out of this documentary after everything else I've got in my head was just like, you know, I think we need to accept as human beings that we're just imperfect, imperfect. And, 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 and. All right, we'll see. That's the thing. I can accept that you're imperfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all can do that. Touche. Uh, and so, and so, um, but we need to be able to accept that we are, are us individually. Yeah. Collectively are, yeah. human beings, we're imperfect. And, and this idea of some utopian society is, is probably a fantasy, right? Yeah. And if, and well, and uh, let's think about that. Honestly, like you said about, you know, I'm imperfect, but you're not meaning <laughs> what is really a utopian society? That's different to different people too. And so again, it's this acceptance that, you know, maybe we shouldn't yeah. be this, this strive for perfection is shouldn't mess may end up getting us in places we don't want to go. And, and so yeah, like, that's why I like say a, like somebody like Strom Thurmond's idea of, of utopia would not be one that I would share, yeah. you know? Well, and I mean, I mean, you know, Jeffrey Epstein's idea of utopia wouldn't be one that we share either, right? Correct. So it's correct. just, it's just, you know, everybody's got something a bit different. Or the Taliban's, right? The We've Taliban, yeah, that's a really good. Speak about them, right? Their, 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 their idea of utopia. They're trying to build their utopia, and we're over here, like, what, you know, what's going on? You know, yeah. Is, and yeah. so that's what I was just thinking. So that's why I say I think to answer the question is like a bit of a yes and no. Um, I think society has learned. I think 
one thing we realize with technology is the power of images. Um, and I think that uh, collectively allows for some sort of transparency in, in, in how bad things get. Because I think about not just the Holocaust, the images that came out of that. Um, you think about things like the civil rights movement in the United States of the 1960s. Yeah. We've talked about things like this where, you know, it was the images of the Southern police officers putting dogs on children and fire hoses on children that got the culture of the country to begin to look at it differently and say, hold on, yeah. you know, we're really, this is who we are. And so, and so, and you know, we can, we can take the, that, you know, extrapolate it out through other examples of history. And so I do think that there is something that uh, has, we're more aware, let me put it that way. But I do think, you know, in, in 1920 is when, according to the documentary, President Calvin Coolidge signed into act um, uh, the Restriction Act. It's called the Restriction Act into law, sorry. And um, it basically shut the door for immigration uh, and reduced immigration by 97% for the next 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, they were saying in the documentary how this didn't lead to the Holocaust. That's Germany's fault. But what it led to was the denial of people from Eastern Europe who are trying to seek sanctuary and leave Europe and get out of that environment. And many of them died because the United States didn't let them in. And I think to modern times like the Syrian refugee crisis, um, you know, Venezuela, or even now this, this past year, Ukraine. And I think about how when the Syrian people were fleeing atrocities into Europe or when it was proposed that we bring, you know, allow some of them to come here, the reaction of many Americans and Europeans to that. When I think about, you think about who's coming to our border these days, is all Venezuelans mostly. It's not Mexicans and other people from, from that part of the world. They're fleeing atrocities there. And then I look at, unfortunately, the people of Ukraine fleeing atrocities. All of them deserve our sympathy. But here in our Western culture, it seems that we've treated the people of Ukraine with more sympathy from a cultural level and from our media and all that than we have the other two groups I mentioned. And so that's what tells me that some of this cultural hangover of the desirables and undesirables, we're going we're gonna to pick as a culture who deserves our sympathy and who doesn't is still well alive. Well, yeah. They, and they, a lot of people don't want to discuss that. That's well, you know, that point though. And I mean, and that point was made uh, less eloquently, but in the documentary and that we still have this thing where human beings are tribal, you know, yeah, and it's just like, it. well, yeah, that tribal piece will always is evergreen as yeah. an opening for people who want to divide for people who want to, to, to do things that otherwise they may have a difficult time getting support to do, you know, ends justify the means stuff because tapping into some of those tribal uh, instincts is, like I said, it's evergreen. And I'd say the thing uh, to me though, I, I think the biggest thing is that it's just hard to deal with. Like we're talking about social ills in many cases that led to people saying, Hey, maybe eugenics is the way we can breed out, you know, people, you know, with addiction problems, we can breed out, yeah. you know, this, this defect or that defect, or, you know, we don't like this characteristic or whatever. And again, not even getting to where it became racial and, oh, we, we need to breed out everybody who's not Protestant, like <laughs> what, you know, type yeah. of thing. But the, the, the social ills that really were when this was still idealism, you know, it was like, Hey, maybe we can make, we can have healthier kids. We can build a better society. 
those things don't go away. And I, I, there was insight, I, I thought. Uh, now, Thomas Hunt Morgan was the, the scientist that, that, that started and, and really led up the, the fruit flies, where he experimented on the fruit flies. trying to. And the reason for that was because with a human being, you can't study this stuff that well because the lifespan is so long. And it takes you know, 20 years or 15 years before people can even reproduce. And so by that time, you, know, you just can't see enough generations to, to really form conclusions. Um, the, the poor way to do that was to try to get oral retellings of history, which was tried by the eugenics people for their own purposes. But that's not a reliable scientific approach. So Morgan used fruit flies, which it's, it's a matter of weeks and months when you can turn, turn around generation after generation. One of his disciples, one of the people who kept along that research, uh, Herman Muller, what he came out with, um, you know, in the more in the 20s is, you know, and he was saying, look, the, the social problems that you guys are trying to address. And he kept the fruit fly research going. And he's the guy actually that turned the X-ray on him and that yeah. saw how the mutations, how you can create mutations, but you still don't know what's going to happen with mutations. Um, but he came out and, and was saying as a rebuke and saying that, look, these social you can't solve social problems with these, you know, the, with these biological mechanisms. The biological mechanisms are unpredictable. You have to solve social problems with social solutions. And that's difficult to do. Uh, it's difficult to do because people a lot of times are wired in a zero sum way, you know, and then people are very tribal as well. So I think that we're better. I don't think everyone has a very negative impression on, or they're, they're thought on trying to help people from, you know, refugees from Venezuela or, or wherever coming from Central South America. I don't think everyone in the country does, but I just do think that be, the evergreen nature of this tribalism piece will always, it'll always be two sides. It'll never be, hey, this let's let's create a better society, not through breeding, but through the mechanisms in our society, which would be messy anyway. Even if we try, even if 100% of the people were on board with doing that, we still would try and fail a lot because well, unintended consequences and stuff like, hey, let's just solve this problem. It's, like, it's not, still not that easy. But ultimately, we do, we do have a recognition on large part of that we have to come up with social solutions. The problem is just trying to get everybody on board or get enough people on board for the social solutions and then trying to find the right balance of social solutions that don't go too far to one way. Welfare is, is in Social Security. Those are social solutions to things like poverty. But they, they have unintended consequences, too. It's hard to, to find yep. a balance there. It's just it's hard to do. So well, that's where I think it goes back to the humility piece. Where, yeah, for sure. For you sure. know, just, hey, we're always going to have these things. Like, welfare is a good example, right? Maybe we should just appreciate that in a society like ours that deals with, you know, resources, there's always going to be people in our society that have a lot less resources than everybody else. Now, we can Unless strive- we take a more drastic communist type approach, which we don't think works. Yeah. You know, well, what yeah. I'm saying is, as, as long as that number can be kept to a very minimum amount, let's say, you know. 20% or less of the population is really kind of in that poverty type of environment, then that's where something like welfare can be looked at and say, okay, this could be one of a solution to try because these, you know, this idea that we're going to have this utopia where there's nobody ever that's on the bottom of the, of the totem pole, I don't think is real when you have a type of society like ours. Yeah, large, um, large complex society. And the yeah. point being of the welfare is that, okay, well, yeah, we keep a, we have a system set up that will keep the number of people in poverty to a minimum. And then welfare just raises the floor. Like, what does poverty mean? Even yeah. now, poverty means something different now in the United States versus does in certain other countries. Some places, the floor is even higher. You know, you go to certain yeah. countries and other, most countries, the floor is lower. And so, but the, the, the welfare idea is like, okay, well, let's just raise the floor. There's still going to be people there, but 
again, how well the system was working, if that's what you're trying to do is create a fair system, is going to dictate how many people more so are in welfare than genetic, you know, breeding and so forth is, is well, kind of what we have. Learned. You know, it's interesting. And then I know we got to jump with, with this whole the culture of the thing, like you're saying, genetic breeding. When, when you look at what I mentioned just now, this modern, let's say just this last 10 years, between the Syrian refugee crisis, the Venezuelan refugee crisis, and then the Ukrainian refugee crisis. Unfortunately, because all three have not been embraced by, let's say, the majority of our countries and our culture, um, and there's been a lot of fear. I remember when President Obama proposed bringing, you know, 1,500 Syrian refugees to the United States, you know, to try and just do what the United States always has done is be a haven for people fleeing, you know, the areas like that. Um, it was met with such backlash that to cancel the program uh, because there was this fear that, again, terrorists were going to be infiltrating them and all these others. If you look at the way that the fear is of the immigration on the south of the border is things like the great replacement theory. And and this idea of breeding, right? I mean, even well, that's, the abor- a, that's what I'm saying. Though. Those I that's evergreen. You can yeah, always I mean. come up with and, some and, reason that some other is going to do something that's terrible. My point. And the that Ukrainian- was your point when you were pointing out the walls and the bars and yeah, the yeah. same stuff they were saying in the 19 teens. But, but think 19- about this: the Ukrainian refugees aren't met with the same type of skepticism and fear. But that's what I mean by the change in the culture. A hundred years ago, Ukrainians were considered just as bad as Arabs and everyone else. But today they're not. And it's just well, an interesting thing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the last thing I'll say, and this is the also, this would probably file under the humility piece that you, that you just said, is that the eugenics piece seemed to underestimate the fact that smart people commit crimes too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and they a lot of times commit bad crime. Like, it's not like, they're, they're, we don't see this one to one. Oh, the, the dumber you are, the more likely you are to commit a crime. You know, like there's a lot of people that think they can outsmart the system and that do try to outsmart the system, or that just you know, like integrity, morality. Those things don't seem to line up on a arc with intelligence, and that's why. I mean, and one of the things you notice in the documentary, and we'll end on this, is how the the as the science diverged and said you can't really control this in terms of the the characteristics and all these like you can't control it down to the science that you need to justify sterilizing people i should say there's some influence i was two tall parents so i have a tall kid but the science that they're trying to do for 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 uh eugenics but what ended up happening with the eugenics movement as it spiraled further and further i would say out of control and spawned the nazis and all the or, or inspired the nazis is it became less about these characteristics and more about about like health and characteristics, stuff like that. And just more about, oh, well, the races and these are dirty races, things all conjecture or, oh, the sexual prowess, like these people like to have sex more. So we're going to breed people that don't like to have sex more. And it, it's, it, it went into all these kind of, you know, just fuzzy things that really just, okay, I don't like this person or these people. So therefore I'm going to say this about them. And then we can use eugenics as an excuse to try to limit their ability to procreate. So it ended up, it started as the bug searching for the windshield and it ended that is that there as well, you know, and then there was this evolution of time where it picked up steam societally, picked up steam uh, politically. There was a brief bump where science was before science had disproven it, but ultimately it's something that's, it's, it's worth learning about, you know, because like I said, it echoes as you've given many examples today, it echoes through our times today because yeah, you, as you said, you can't take, no matter, you're, you're trying to t- attack feeble-mindedness or whatever, but some of this stuff is just humanity. It's just who we are. And learning how to deal with that and, you know, 
social versus antisocial. That's what it yeah. comes down to a lot of times. So from there, we can wrap. We appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. In the new year, first episode of 2023, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it. Tell us what you think. Send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. Tune to Evan Lana. All right. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>